one of the most frightening things that ever happened to me was in my mind's eye, I saw this woman. Um, she was an elderly woman. She uh, had white, short, curly hair. She had bags underneath her eyes. She looked frightened, like really frightened. And she was screaming at me, but there was no sound. You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Bamforth. As a retired instructor of digital media from the University of Alabama, Laura Lineberry has lent her talents as a graphic designer to several paranormal investigators and psychics over the years, many of whom you've probably seen on TV. As a paranormal investigator for almost 20 years, Laura has traveled to some of the most iconic haunted places, and in doing so, she has made strong friendships with several intriguing people, or what she describes as self-proclaimed weirdos. She has participated in lectures, podcasts, web series, haunted tours, and short films. But tonight, she's appearing on this show, Terra Signals, to talk about ghost hunting in the Deep South with the Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group, along with her work having what some call the gift. Or maybe it's a curse. We'll find out soon enough. Laura, welcome to Terra Signals. Thank you. Happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about this Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group. Where is it located? Well, Tuscaloosa is in kind of the northern western part of the state of Alabama. Um, it's also home to the Crimson Tide, Alabama football, University of Alabama. So um, if you're in the southeast, everybody knows where Tuscaloosa is. The Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group is a group of only uh, 12 members. We're very serious about who we take in, um, heavily vetted. Uh, we will even take uh, prospective members on investigations and kind of uh, test them uh, based on their abilities, their professional uh, approach to ghost hunting, um, and things like that. Um, we have been no more than 12 in all the years I've been involved. Uh, but we are now for reasons as some of us are getting older, we are recruiting some younger members. Um, and that's been going very well. Now we, we do strictly work with, um, private clients. We take confidentiality very seriously. Um, they contact us or they're referred to us by somebody else who has had us investigate their homes. Sometimes they are just homes or they're, we've, we've investigated churches, um, public buildings, retail shops, even hair salons for paranormal activity. And you're, uh, the group is part of the TAPS family, right? Yes. Early on, um, especially when the show Ghost Hunters came to fame, uh, it was very important that the people that were doing these kind of investigations were given some sort of credential. And the credentials that the TAPS, which is the Atlantic Paranormal Society run by um, the founders, Grant Wilson and Jason Hawes, they had very particular things that they wanted each of these teams to have. And it was a certain amount of experience, a certain amount of technology and equipment. Um, 
and as well as things like uh, referrals from clients to talk about the professionalism. They, at the time, they took it very seriously. We're still in contact with uh, TAPS representatives. And a lot of times we do get contacted because for a very long time, we were the only TAPS affiliated group in the state of Alabama. Uh, before we get into some of those investigations that you did with the group, Let's get into your backstory, right? Um, what is this gift you have in, in tail, and how did you first discover it? Well, you know, I, I, I'm much older than a lot of the paranormal investigators you might meet to this day. Um, I've been around several decades. Um, I am going to be 61 this year. And in all those years, I've had the ability to predict the future. Now, this is very hard for me to come um, in a public forum, forum to be able to explain this because for years I would get weird looks or tell me, you know, oh yeah, sure you do. Or um, when I was very young, my mother would tell me, you know, you don't need to tell everybody. We know you have the gift, but, you know, you don't need to tell everybody. And so it was little things like I knew who was on the phone um, even before the phone rang. Um, and this is back in the, uh, early seventies where we didn't have call waiting. There were, there weren't any, um, uh, I don't even know what they're called anymore. The, the machines that usually the answering machines. sorry. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. <laughs> some of your, some of your fans might even know, not even know what that is, but, um, and then I would finish sentences, um, which, you know, can happen when you're with people you're close with, but these were with strangers, or I would know um, their birthday, or I would know uh, if somebody had passed recently with them. And so it, it wasn't um, it wasn't so much that I didn't think at the time that I was reading people. It wasn't until much later that I realized that that's probably what was happening. Um, my first paranormal experience um, that I know of, and I say that because as I've been investigating and have now seen some apparitions, I'm not so sure that I haven't seen one in the past because some of these apparitions have been pretty darn realistic. Um, but my first paranormal experience was in college. And I really kind of came into my own in college. I was thinking for myself for the first time. And I think that that's why my premonitions, my experience with spirits and stuff became just more prominent in my everyday life. So my mother um, has been visited by people who have just died. So for instance, her grandfather visited her um, in a dream and she knew he had died um, you know, long before the phone calls came because he had visited her. Um, this was something that happened to her often. I have a younger brother that has the same thing. He will dream interesting things. Uh, for instance, uh, we had a, unfortunately, a murder happen within our family. Uh, very close family members were murdered. And my brother was able to describe where my uncle, who had been murdered, was found, what he was wearing, everything, even though he was nowhere near where it was. And, and we weren't able to 
you know, corroborate that until much later and found out, yes, that's what he was wearing when he passed away. But my brother had always described it as that, that, uh, you know, as such, um, he was found in khaki shorts and a yellow polo. Um, and this was something that happened miles away. We hadn't seen these family members in a couple of years. So it wasn't something that we readily recognize as something he would wear. But my brother would say, oh, he was found, you know, on the second floor behind a chair wearing khakis and a yellow shirt, a yellow um, polo. And so that's something he's always been able to kind of see things in dreams. For me, the best way I can explain it is knowing. And um, I don't know how I know. I don't know. I'm getting better at controlling it. But I remember when my husband and I got married, I had to tell him about this thing that, that, you know, about me that was hard to explain. And so I told him, I, I have premonitions. And he's like, okay, you know, just like anybody else would say, yeah, sure you do. And I said, well, the next time I have one, I'll just say it out loud because sometimes it can be very little, not anything of any significance, just very little. So we were, we were going out to eat, um, one evening and I had that moment of knowing. And I said, uh, his name's Casey. I said, Casey, I'm having a premonition and I just want to tell you what's going on. He said, okay. I said, we are going to run into somebody we know this evening that we owe money to, and we're going to be very embarrassed to see them. Well, it didn't make sense to either one of us because we were young, you know, sure we owed the bank for our home, but other than that, there wasn't, you know, it just didn't make any sense running into somebody we know that was going to happen. You know, it was a small town, so I knew that was going to happen. So we get to the restaurant, it's a very nice restaurant, and there's a limo outside, a white limo. And there's a man standing there that looks a lot like my stepfather. And I recognized him right away. Um, he was the limo driver when we eloped in Birmingham, which is about an hour away from Tuscaloosa. So it didn't make sense that he was there. But there he was. And we went over and we said, hi, do you remember us? And he goes, oh, yeah, because I think we had been married maybe two months. We had a short conversation and we went inside. Now, I didn't think anything more of it, but, but Casey was kind of being a little weird. And I said, is something wrong? He goes, no, I'll tell you later. So long story short, he tells me when we get home that when we had eloped, there was a misunderstanding that his father had paid the limo driver. He thought his father did, and his father thought Casey did. And when they pulled up to the hotel to drop us off, I went ahead and went upstairs and he was scrambling, trying to figure out how to pay the limo driver. And this was before electronic payments, you know, before you could do PayPal or Venmo or any such thing. He even went to the, the hotel desk and said, how can I, you know, what, what can I do? And they didn't have any cash or any way to get him any money. There wasn't an ATM. It was really embarrassing for him, but he never told me. And so when we ran into the limo driver, he was horribly embarrassed because we never paid him. And um, so this was one of those moments he goes, okay, now I believe you. And, you know, it's one of those things where there's validation. He knows he never told me. There was no way that I'd know. He was too embarrassed to even tell me. 
Um, and that was the first time that he witnessed um, one of my premonitions. And like I said, as insignificant as it was, it had big significance for him because he was so embarrassed. Um, a lot of my premonitions um, surround death, which can be kind of a scary thing. Um, my husband and I have uh, not code words, but certain way of saying things when I'm describing a premonition. And I'll say somebody we know or someone everyone knows. If everybody knows them, it's usually a celebrity or maybe a local, uh, you know, news anchor or something, but a celebrity or a politician or something like that. Somebody we know is somebody in the family. Um, and, and I have a lot of examples of that, but one of the ones that really hit me the most was, um, uh, well, there was two. One was um, I had said to my husband, I said, I'm having a premonition. And he says, okay. And we write it down. And I said that there was going to be a young actress that will die. It was somebody everybody knows. She will die unexpectedly, and she's very young and blonde. And um, the very next day, Brittany Murphy died. Um, I don't know if you know, she was a young act actress. She was in the, sh the movie Clue. And, and it wasn't anybody that I particularly followed or anything. But the way that I know that it was her and not some other blonde actress was the premonitions usually come true within three, three days of the premonition. And I also get a very large sense of relief, like the weight has been lifted off of me. If I don't get that feeling, then I know it's not the right person. Um, another one that affected me greatly was, um, it was in uh, December one year, and I, was, I just got this weighty feeling, this horrible sense of doom. And I have predicted uh, plane crashes and earthquakes before. And so the very first words for my husband was, okay, how many? Meaning how many people? And I said, I just, I, I don't understand this. I said, it's, it's too many. I'm like, I, I, I feel broken. The amount of pain and loss is a lot. And so my husband decided it was an earthquake, but I wasn't feeling like that's what it was. And then two days later, the tsunami had hit. And immediately, I had such a, a release from it and all the sorrow and pain and um, just immense grief was lifted from me. And of course, I couldn't feel happy that I had made this premonition because I couldn't do anything about it. There, you know, I didn't even know what it was. And my husband said, well, it was a earthquake. And I said, no, it was a, it was a tsunami, which I'd never experienced or had witnessed or anything in my life. And he says, they're caused by earthquakes. And that was one of those times where, wow, it just, it, it is such a sense of doom. I know for the, the paranormal investigators sometimes will walk into a room and they feel a heaviness uh, when they're investigating. It's that kind of same thing times 10. It is, it is a a sorrow um, that, you know, I, f I know it's not mine, if that makes sense. It, I know it's not my sorrow. I'm not the one depressed. Um, but I somehow or another, um, I, I can sense it. Um, year, years ago, I was on a ghost hunt in Georgia in one of the oldest inns in the, in the state. 
And we were with a small group of people that like to try different techniques and uh, try out different equipment and that kind of thing. And um, there had been a uh, study, I wish I knew exactly who had done this, but they, the, these people had determined what, that whenever there was an EVP or an electronic voice phenomenon, that there would also be a fluctuation in low frequency sound. It was almost like at the very moment that an EVP was captured, there would be this, this blip in the low frequency sound. So we decided to do some uh, experiments by uh, one of the guys in the group had a phone that could play this low frequency sound. And you could hear, um, you could hear this like pitch. And then when he lowered it, um, you couldn't hear anything, but within minutes, I was nauseous. I was, I it felt like ice picks in my ears. Um, I got, started vomiting and had to leave the room. And when I got upstairs to my own room, my husband came to check on me. I said, tell them to turn it off. And I could tell the exact minute they turned it off. And what I found interesting about that was maybe I'm susceptible somehow to the low frequency sounds. And maybe that's why I've been able to predict earthquakes. Um, not every time I get, I get mad at myself when an earthquake happens, like, dang, you know, I, how did I miss that? You know? Um, but I, you know, there may be a connection because nobody else there, one other person, I'm sorry, one other person did get a headache, but I was the only one that was physically ill from the sound. And the minute it was turned off, all of the symptoms went away. So it's very, very interesting. Are there ever any like positive premonitions that occur for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've had uh, a couple of little things. This, this was this was an interesting one that happened to me and, and kind of made my best friend in college a believer. Um, we were going to the grocery store and she looked pr particularly pretty that day. You know, when you're in college, sometimes the girls just don't try too hard unless they're going out at night. <laughs> but she looked pretty, she looked very pretty. And I was trying to get her to run into the store with me. And she's like, no. And I said, come on, you might run into an old boyfriend. And we lived in Tallahassee. I went to Florida State University. And, um, she was from Tampa, which was a couple of hours South. And she goes, I don't, don't have any ex-boyfriends here. I'm like, come on. So we go in, we're in there for 10 minutes at tops. We get in line and, uh, somebody behind us went Patty and she turned around and it was her high school boyfriend. And she just looked at me, she goes, you are weird, you know, because she had experienced some things before, but that was one that, and I just laughed, you know, and I said, you know, well, aren't you glad you came in, you know? And so little things like that. Um, another time, this was one of the weirdest ones. Um, I was walking with a friend from class to another class and this has happened quite a bit. I'll say something that makes no sense. And I'm like, what was that? You know? And I said, no, but I have a yellow highlighter. And my friend looked at me, she goes, what are you talking about? I said, I, I, I don't know. You know, and I just kind of laughed and we laughed it off. It was no big deal. 
And later that night we were studying, they used to be, Howard Johnson's was a hotel back in the day and they used to give free coffee and donuts to students who were studying for their finals. So we were all sitting there and the, the girl that I had talked to that day was there with me. We were sitting with a couple of other girls we didn't know. And this one girl came over and she said very quietly, you know, she was, it was that time of the month. And she asked us if anybody had some tampons and the girl we didn't know looked right at her. She goes, no, but I got a yellow highlighter. Oh my gosh. And yeah. So we just, so my friend was like, oh my, oh my God, you know, what is, what is wrong with you? And I just laughed, you know? And so occasionally there would be these weird, like, you know, coincidences or synchronicities that would happen that I would never get that knowing feeling, but I would say or do something that in turn later would turn out to be highly coincidental. Why do you think these premonitions happen? Like, like, what's the point? Well, I, you know, I've asked that because there was a time when they just stopped and I got very depressed. I even said to my husband, I've lost my superpower. And uh, he says, you know, it'll come back. And I, I don't know why. Uh, this lasted for about four years and there was nothing. And, um, I think the last one that I predicted was, um, before this four years was, um, I think during the 2016 elections, I remember I just had this knowing and I told my husband, I said, there's going to be a politician that is shot. And he goes, of course there will be, you know, cause it was such, a, <laughs> it was such a, um, you know, politicians, politics were in kind of turmoil. So we were both not surprised by that premonition. However, it turned out the next day that a woman in parliament in Britain had been shot outside of the, of the out of parliament. And again, I got that sense of relief. So I knew that's what it was. Um, and then I didn't have anything for a long time. And I'm not sure why, um, I know this is probably a little bit too much information about me, but that was also about the time I started going through menopause. And um, there's a lot of, you know, female hormones and chemistry, you know, chemical imbalances that kind of go that different medications. And I, I kind of alluded to the fact that that, that might be it, that, that I'm not me during that period of time. Um, and if you ever met anybody going through that, they're rabid, <laughs> so you don't mess with them. Uh, but that was, that was a time when, when I didn't have it. Um, and then it slowly started coming back just little, um, little things. Now, my great grandmother was, uh, I come from a, a very long line of strong Italian women and her name was Fortunata. And which she got that name, it was a nickname for her because she was a fortune teller. 
So it goes back a long way. Um, and it wasn't, you know, until recently that I kind of was learning more about myself and who I was uh, and why I reacted the way I did about, so I was always able to read people, like really know who they were. Um, I, I would immediately trust them or not. It's just, just a thing with me. And um, I never thought of that in any way as being paranormal. Um, but once I started to understanding why I was the way I was, the better I was getting at certain things. Um, and so I was willing to try anything. Like I, I knew I had this skill, but I couldn't control it. And so one of the things that I, uh, you know, came into my line of sight that I've become pretty good at is, um, through learning about Reiki and Reiki healing is remote healing. And, um, in fact, you know, you, you mentioned uh, before we got started here, a friend of mine, Tina, um, it happened with Tina. Tina was witness to this, um, and it was very interesting where they basically give you the name of a person and their age, and you mentally scan uh, them and start to describe them. And I not only described him to the T, I was able to point out exactly what was wrong with him um, and what was going on uh, with his body. But the strangest thing was I said, there's something his head isn't shaped right. Now you have to understand, this is me sitting in a room with my eyes closed. Um, and, you know, we went through the checklist and I was 100% right about this person I had never met. Um, and it turned out to be a relative of my friend Tina's. And she was like, I cannot believe what I just witnessed. And not to be bragging on myself, but this came after months and months of kind of building on this skill and learning how to use it for good and not just for delivering bad news that so-and-so is going to die or so-and-so is going to get shot. It was, let me look deeper into this person and see if I can find out you know, what their ailment is and then help to lead them to healing of some sort. You know, it's, it's interesting because as you're describing some of this stuff, it sounds like there are some aspects of remote viewing in a way. Yes, exactly. Because I, I could, this particular young man, I could see him. I, I said, does, you know, this person has a high and tight haircut, which he did. He's blonde with blue eyes, which he was. And I said, he has a funny shaped head, which he did. He had some kind of surgery apparently when he was younger that um, caused the misshaping. Um, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing because I have to go to a place in my head almost to kind of really see. I meditate heavily before, I meditate after. Um, and it was at that point that I was told, you really should look into Reiki. Um, and... Uh, I've since become a Reiki master. I, I wish I could practice it more, but I kind of live in a rural place. Um, Alabama is a little bit weird about weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how to put that. I, I think you had mentioned in our conversations prior to the show, um, you know, being a paranormal investigator in the Deep South comes with its own set of challenges, right? Oh, yes, it does. 
right? So how do you deal with differing belief systems and ones that may not jive with traditional belief systems? Well, the thing about the Bible Belt for sure is that you're not going to find a more committed group of Christians. Um, they are, you know, by the Bible, um, very um, deeply rooted in their faith. And it's almost hard to try to convince them that maybe it's not always as you see. Maybe there's something different. And I'll give you an example. I moved to where I live now in Crane Hill, Alabama. I live on a beautiful lake uh, with um, few neighbors. It's it's a it's a destination lake, so a lot of people come and and vacation here. So there's not a lot of full timers. And I have one particular neighbor I had met just briefly, and we decided let's walk together on uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays for some exercise. And everybody in, in the neighborhood had been in my house as it was being built, but they hadn't been in it since we furnished it and everything. And so she asked, could I see your house? And I said, of course. So we go in and in my bedroom, I have a desk that has crystals. Uh, it, there's even a magic wand. It was just a gift from somebody. I don't use a magic wand, but there were crystals and even uh, a box of tarot cards. Um, just a lot, you know, books on psychics and, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, it, it, it was, in, it's interesting, but if you don't know me, <laughs> you'd think, oh my gosh, she, she worships Satan, you know? And I think, I think one of the things she saw was a crystal grid and a crystal grid is a geometric grid. Uh, there's several out there where you use it as a way to put out your crystals to, to generate energy. And, um, I think she thought it was a pentagram. I'm not sure what she thought it was, but so she asked me later, she goes, what are these crystals? And I said, well, you know, my beliefs are, is that they work if you want them to. I said, I have two theories on them. They work because you need something to believe in, or they are actually healing stones that people use, um, you know, to heal different aspects of their life, either mental, physical, um, whatever. And she goes, well, they're, she told me they were the devil's toys to, for me, for people like me to play with, to take me further away from God. And I said, well, the interesting thing is, is when I pray, I hold them. So, you know, explain to me how this is, you know, different. And she went into this long thing about, you know, well, what does it mean to you to be a Christian, you know, and on and on and on. And I, I, I felt attacked you know, and I was like, oh, she doesn't even know the, the rest of the story. You know, I, I, I have friends who are Wiccan, who are some that are witches. I have some that are agnostic, um, some that are atheists, um, pagan, but I embrace it all because I think honestly, my belief is that we're all praying to the same source that, that there's a light source of energy out there. That is God to some people, Yahweh to other people, uh, Druids to other people, you know, it's just this source of energy that I, that I believe in truly. And I, I looked at her, I said, you know, you might go to church every Sunday and pray, but I'm telling you, I pray dozens of times a day. That doesn't make me less of a Christian because I hold a crystal, you know? So there's a lot of that. We, I was at this bed and breakfast one time and 
one of the ways that I use my skill is I can walk into a haunted house per se and tell you if it's haunted or not, because I do get that heavy feeling if it is. And I walked into this bed and breakfast and uh, we were there with a group of friends just to spend the weekend, not to ghost hunt or anything like that. But I walked in and I'm like, oh, wow, this place, something's going on here. And the host, the hostess, the owner, I asked her, I said, by chance, is this place haunted? She goes, oh, no, I'm a Christian. We don't, that doesn't happen here. And I'm like, okay. And while I'm talking to her, her dog is digging at the floor like nobody's business. <laughs> the dog is acting weird. And I'm like, yeah, you got something here. Um, but, you know, and, and so I told her, we had a conversation later and I said, so you believe in angels? And she said, yeah. She goes, do you not? I said, yeah, well, absolutely. I said, they're my spirit guides. And she got a funny look on her face. I said, you know, like guardian angel. And that helped her. She relaxed a little bit. And I said, and they're what, 10 feet tall with, you know, 15 feet wings, you know, wings spread. And she's like, well, yeah. And I said, but I can't believe in a ghost, you know? And I said, have you ever seen an angel? She said, no. I said, have you ever spoken to an angel? She said, no. I said, well, I've seen ghosts and I've spoken to them. And I said, I don't know who they are. Um, some of them I get to know and, and I know some personally and can have conversations with, but so, you know, long story short, it is a, uh, a bit of a dilemma. And we actually had a, a preacher call us because he was convinced his church was haunted, but we could not, he didn't want us to tell anybody. And we usually don't, we keep everything confidential, but he did not want anybody to know that he thought his church was haunted because, you know, from what they, what they claim is said about psychics and ghosts and so on and so forth in the Bible made him a bad person. Well, what did you find at that church? Was it in fact haunted? At that, at that church, there was something going on. We typically, when we investigate, we will go three times. We will do everything from checking the weather conditions, the time of year. Um, we, we have a skeptic on our team, which I think every team should have somebody that doesn't fully believe that they're not going to rush to judgment and say any noise they hear is paranormal. So, uh, he, he did find one of the issues was scratching and knocking and all this. And with his help, we were able to determine they had a mouse problem. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And what's really great is when you're sitting there in the dark, right. And you're watching the, the, the DVR and you're watching your friends investigate and you see the mice run across the floor, <laughs> but they don't see <laughs> oh, it. You're just sitting there go, this is, this is, this is awesome. You know, but yeah, it's like, no, I'm not sleeping here tonight. But uh, we, we did determine he had a mouse problem, but there was something else going on there. We did get um, some uh, names on an ovulus. Um, and for the longest time, I wasn't a believer in the ovulus, which is, um, it's, a, it's a piece of equipment that basically holds thousands of words. And the theory is, is that the spirits can use their energy to kind of pick from these words. And then it would randomly spew out, um, these words. And, um, one, I actually think I included it in what I sent to you. It's not a very good EVP, but what I like about it is you hear the ovulus first, you hear it say the word evil, and then 
a couple of seconds later, we caught an EVP that said evil. So we thought that was really interesting. Um, and that's happened a couple of times where I'm a little bit more um, okay with the ovulus. Um, you know, I'm not going to take any new piece of equipment and immediately think it's working just because it's saying what I want it to say. But there have been a couple of cases where we've caught an EVP of exactly what the ovulus said moments after. Um, and you can hear both on that particular one I sent you. Yeah, we, we do have some EVPs here that I like to play for the audience. But for, for those of you who are unfamiliar with EVP or electronic voice phenomenon, uh, they are classified based on the clarity and distinctiveness of the recorded voices. So typically we label them as either class A, B, or C. Class A are unmistakable and voices that are considered the clearest or most distinct. Uh, you know, these are really easily understood and they don't require much interpretation. On the other hand, class B is usually a little less clear, but still audible and comprehensible. But it, it may require headphones to hear it pretty well. Uh, and right. then class C is often the least clear and can contain like faint, distorted or hard to make out words. I, I like to play class A and sometimes class B because I think these are the most impressive. A and you supplied me with a bunch um, and a few of them I'll play here that I think are quite interesting. And, and yes. now remember, folks, EVP is extremely, extremely rare. I mean, you're sitting in yes. a room <laughs> often for hours on end, lucky to just come away with one or two seconds of genuinely intriguing stuff. Yeah. Let me let me tell your audience, too, that, you know, you could you could sit at a location eight to 12 hours um, and listen, not hear a thing. Um, do everything you can to try to engage whatever's there to speak up, to catch an EVP. And if you catch one, even if it's a single word, that is a successful night. <laughs> but more often than not, you don't catch anything. Um, and, and just a real quick, you know, remember I said we go to places three times. We went to this one location where you do have some EVPs where we caught so much the very first night we were there. And so we set the second investigation for about a month later. And that second time, nothing, not a thing. It was so disappointing because we were just so excited to go back. Um, so it just depends. And yeah, it's never, it's, it's never a guarantee yeah, um, definitely. All right. Well, let's let's get into this first one here. Um, this is the one that you're talking about. Um, it, it's marked uh, courtroom uh, evil. Yes. Yes. So, w what is it about this location? So, this is actually it's it's a location in Pickens County, um, Alabama, uh, and there's a famous court courthouse. It's, they call it the face in the window of the Pickens County courthouse. And a lot of investigators have gone there. It's just kind of a fun place to go. And the face in the window, the story behind it is that there was uh, a gentleman, uh, he was a black man that was accused of a crime and then hung. And when he was hung, lightning struck. And the, the legend is, is that his face was then forever uh, kind of engraved in the antique window of the courtyard of the courthouse. So a lot of people would just drive by and go, Ooh, there's, there's the face in the window. Um, the true story is not as elaborate. Um, he was actually hung 
uh, much lower in the gallows of the courthouse. There was not a lightning storm the night he he died, but it does have a reputation for being haunted. And um, so uh, we, we would split up our team, depending on the size of the location, we're very rarely all 12 there. Uh, it depends on the size, but we always investigate in twos. Um, and uh, one of the other investigators, at the time, we were the only two females. Uh, and so whatever, the guys like to put the females together. So she and I were in the courtroom. And um, we had actually gotten an EVP earlier. And uh, the ovalist said, Shepherd, and you could hear me say Shepherd, and then a minute later we got the EVP that said Shepherd. It was very low, it's Shepherd, you know. And so, but the evil one came out much clearer. And so we're sitting there. We're we had our, we do our research. So we had some names of some famous uh, attorneys, famous. Um, criminals that had been tried there. And so we were trying all these different names. And uh, out of nowhere, the obvious says evil. And then we didn't hear it because a lot of times you're not going to hear these voices until you play your recorders back. Um, and about an hour later, we were kind of playing it while we were in the control room, which is where we watched the DVRs. And I had my headphones on and I hear the obvious say evil. And then Less than a minute later, you hear evil, you know, and you're like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> and, and that particular EVP was very uh, important to me because that made me a believer in that equipment. Okay. All right. So let's, let's play this one. I'm, I'm going to play this live. Um, I have it queued up here and I'm going to play it live. So uh, folks, um, turn up your volume or if you have headphones, use them and you'll be able to hear this clear. So I'm going to play this. This is from the courtroom in Alabama here. All right, so I'm going to play it again. What you hear in the beginning is you hear the ovulus, right, saying the word evil. That's correct, right. And then it's the second time that you hear the, the EVP that mirrors that, right, that says evil again. Correct. All right, let's play it one more time here. Yeah, and again, it's a little hard to hear, but something is there. The interesting thing about it, two things. One is we were the only ones in the courtroom, me and, and my fellow investigator, her name's Heather. And so there were only women there. Um, we are very careful in our team. Number one, it's so important that you trust your team, that we are we go quiet when, when the others are investigating, um, where we were in the courtroom, there's no way, even if one of the guys had said it, there's no way they could have heard the ovulus. I mean, it's just so quiet. But what the second thing that was very interesting to me was that it almost mimicked it. Like it didn't just say, you know, evil, it was evil, you know, just like the ovulus. So I thought that I thought that was very interesting because we we have had it on occasion um, things mimic us or sounds that we make 
it makes you wonder um, about the the nature of the phenomenon. You know, is it truly voices from the other side, or is it tied to us on this side in some some interesting way? But um, yeah, it's that's the beauty of this, right? It never provides a lot of answers, just more questions. And I, and I think that's why so many people are passionate about it because the answers are not always readily there. Um, one of the things that that I enjoy is going back to places over and over and over again where you establish a rapport with whatever's there and you you receive validation because either the same things are happening or the same voices um, come up to where you can start to recognize. It's like, oh, you know, that's so-and-so or that, you know, am I speaking to Catherine? Am I speaking to Sarah? And being able to distinguish between their voices. It, it, that to me has been um, one of the most real uh, experiences that, that I leave going, yes, there's something going on. Yes, there's an afterlife, you know. Now, have you ever had a premonition of an EVP? <laughs> I had a very... That's an interesting, I love that question because this is one that kind of led me down a different road. So I, we were in a home, a private home. There was a couple that had re, um, did some renovations on their home and they turned two bedrooms into a master with a master bath. So what used to be two bedrooms was only one with a large bathroom. And, um, they started having activity almost right away. And so they called us and we'd been there a couple of times, um, since. So the, the first time they called us there, um, we went out, we spent the night. Um, we had, um, found that there were certain things in the house that had really strong EMF, which is electromagnetic fields, which, uh, there's a theory that the, the EMF, um, will actually, uh, help spirits to communicate, but it also can be caused by faulty wiring, um, all kinds of things that are not paranormal. And so we were kind of just, I don't know, um, trying to figure out why this one area in the house was doing that. So while we had our skeptic kind of checking that out, trying to figure out if it was air conditioning or if it was, you know, Joe, the ghost, you know, which is trying to figure out which one it was. The girls and I, um, at this time, we had three female investigators. We went into what would have been the second bedroom, but was now the master bath. And we decided to have an EVP system, you know, session, sorry. And the woman of the house believed that her brother who had died was, was um, haunting the house. I, I'm not, I don't remember exactly why she thought, but... So we were using his name a lot. And all of a sudden, I feel um, an immense amount of love come over me, um, like a maternal kind of love. And I saw in my mind's eye a woman's hand writing the name Mary. And I really just like, what? You know, what was that? Um, didn't say anything. And then it happened again. And so I said out loud, I said, well, evidently I'm being told to say the name Mary. Is there a Mary here? Um, 
without telling the girls anything, one of the other girls said, that's so weird. I just felt the woman, the, the presence of a woman, but I wasn't going to say anything. And I said, well, you know, let's just see. So we talked to Mary for a while and we really didn't get anything. And, um, so we, we left and, you know, any investigator knows that when you, that the investigation doesn't end when you leave the house, you have hours and hours of listening to audio, watching video, analyzing it, everything, you know, and then you report back to the client, everything you found. Well, I had left my purse there and I was not happy about it when I realized it. And we decided the next morning, my husband and I would go back. It was like 45 minutes away that we'd go back and get the purse. So I called them in the morning, said we were coming back to get the purse. And I knew that they were going to start asking, how did it go? What did you get? You know, all kinds of questions like that. And um, we try not to answer those right away because we want to give them a full report. We don't want to dive down into this deep thing and turns out we're wrong, you know? So, of course, they asked, well, how did it go? I said, well, there were some things that are, are um, have us going, hmm, and we're going we're gonna to look in that and go through the evaluation and you'll get a report in a week to two weeks. And as I was walking out, I see the woman's hand writing the name Mary again. And again, this is in my mind's eye. I don't know how to explain it. it, it you know, I know there's people out there that do this, so they know, but I, I can't make it happen. It just happens. And the woman looked at me and she started crying. She goes, oh my God, that's my mother. My mother's name is Mary. And, you know, so I kind of had to tell her what happened. And she said that in that bedroom, before she had died, before she had passed away, that's where she was. She had come to live with them and she was in hospice and she actually died in that room. And I said, well, I said, you know, I can't say anything right now because I don't know if we caught her or we, and we didn't, there were no EVPs or anything, but we did not at that point, we, we were only told about this brother. We didn't, you know, this Mary woman wouldn't have shown up on anything. There's no way I could have known, but I, I remember seeing the, her write out the name Mary. Well, what, what this led to was very strange because for, and it only happens rarely, but for the longest time, I would see words. I would close my eyes and it's usually, you know, right before I went to bed or when I was meditating, just these words. And sometimes the words would stack on top of each other. So I couldn't really, like by the time I start reading one word, there's another word slapped on top and they were all transparent. And it was like somebody was screaming words at me. And so I asked a, a friend of mine who, who is a bona fide psychic, I said, um, what is this? And she says, sometimes, you know, in her life, she would have somebody present a word. She goes, tell them to slow down. So the next time it happened, I said, you know, can you, can you slow down for me? And one of the most frightening things that ever happened to me was in my mind's eye, I saw this woman. Um, she was an elderly woman. She uh, had white, short, curly hair. She had bags underneath her eyes. She looked frightened, like really frightened. And she was screaming at me, but there was no sound. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. This isn't happening. This is not something I welcome. No. And then it stopped for a long time. And I really think somebody 
was maybe trying to tell me something and they were frustrated because I couldn't, I couldn't understand or I wasn't getting the message or whatever. And with the help of this friend that was, that is a psychic, she said, it's very possible that, you know, I have moved into mediumship, which is, I'm not, I'm not really excited about, to be honest with you. I don't mind talking to a spirit. Let me help you. Um, you know, why are you here? Do you need help? You know, that kind of thing. But I don't want some, you know, you know, crazy looking old woman yelling at me in my sleep. You know, I just, I, <laughs> it's not fun, but it's so weird because that one moment that I saw the name Mary being written out, I was, it, it was like, well, you know, try to be funny here a little bit, but it's like, you know, Mary told somebody else, Hey, this girl can see your writing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this, this non-motherly type, crazy looking, you know, honestly, she looked dead, you know, um, screaming at me and, uh, it frightened me. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that I hear, uh, with people who have this ability is, you know, once you become aware of it, the other side becomes aware of it as well. And it's, and it's tough to keep that door closed to certain things. Let's go to, this was from a private investigation. Uh, you have it labeled as Pickens County. And yes. there's one in particular here, this clip. Um, it's from the bathroom, correct? Yes. <laughs> now, um, this one, uh, I stress to the audience, this one, the CVP does have some adult language. So if you're listening to, the, to this episode with children around, please pause it or cover their ears. Just want to give you fair warning. So I don't get any angry emails. Yes. Uh, but why, why don't you set the context as to what we're about to hear with this one? So earlier I mentioned this location that we had been to several times where the first time we were there, there was a lot of activity. Um, and then the second time we went, there was nothing. And, um, you know, I had, there was an EVP that I caught at that location that I, I don't scare easily. And, um, and, but, the, but there was so much happening. And, and I asked, I said, you know, what is it you like about this place? And at this point I had my headphones on. And so I was listening live to any EVPs and it said in a very raspy whisper, you, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> but I didn't get scared. I'm like, well, that's funny, dude. I know that's not why you're here. It's my first time here, you know? So we had a lot of activity like that. Um, some of the EVPs were very low and, and hard to hear. And this location was a home on what used to be a very large uh, tobacco plantation, tobacco and cotton, I believe. Again, we had the family names. We had done some research and whatnot. And so we did get a slew of, of EVPs. And at the end of the night, about 3.30 in the morning, we were all kind of cleaning up, uh, pulling wires. And the house was, are you familiar with what a dog trot house is? No. Okay. So if you see a home that has, 
it looks like two homes put together with an open center that you could walk right through the very center. Okay. Okay. So you'll have, um, uh, I think I've seen this living before. Qu- yeah. Yeah. You'll see like living quarters on yeah. one side. I and just then, didn't know, you know the technical term for it. Right. Right. So this home had been, um, they had actually closed in what would be the dog trot. So the house was almost like a big circle. So right in the middle of the house was there's this big area where, which used to be open. And so it was very circular in, and there were a lot of doors in that one area because it used to be outer doors. And there was a bathroom that kind of connected two rooms together. And one of the rooms we had used for our DVR we call it command center. It's where we listened to it for EVPs while others are investigating. We watch the screens, make sure everybody's safe. We also have cameras outside to make sure there isn't anybody outside, you know, kind of messing with us. And uh, this bathroom sat right behind that and went into another area. And the we never investigated the bathroom. It was just where all of our wires were now wireless, but we used to have all of our camera cords, all of our DV DVR cords going through this one bathroom. It was so full of um, cords and whatnot that you couldn't walk through it. You know, it was just went on. I think we had like 11 cameras. Okay. So a lot of stuff there, a lot of stuff in that bathroom. Well, usually, um, we'll turn off all of our recorders as we're cleaning up for the night. But this particular night, um, Chris, who is one of our investigators, he is actually um, special ops in the Marines. Nobody's quite sure exactly what he does, but he's a very play-by-the-book kind of guy. He just happened to not turn off his recorder and had it sitting on the table at, at the DVR station. And we were cleaning up, you know, doing everything, pulling the wires, et cetera. So what happens is we go home where we're all supposed to turn in our EVPs or whatever, you know, our video captures, anything like that to Chris, because he was our project manager. So Chris goes, okay, which one of you did this? And he sent the, the recorder. Well, none of us, of course, it wasn't any of the girls and none of us sounded like that. And even Chris didn't sound like that. And we're like, no, it wasn't, you know, I, why would we say that? And, uh, so we got a big laugh out of it because it's one of the clearest EVPs we had gotten that evening. And it was when we were not investigating at all, we were definitely being watched. The recorder was going, but, uh, Chris was unaware that the recorder was going. Right. Right. Okay. Let me play this one here. So the EVP is at the very beginning, right? Right, right. All right, let me play just the beginning again because okay. that what you what you heard was the entirety of the clip. It's a thirty-four second right. long clip. Because you you can hear us kind of you can hear stuff being moved around. Right. Yeah. All right. So here's the beginning of that clip again, where the EVP is. Yes. 
So that's where the EVP takes place. Now, right. what is being said in that EVP? Well. Your interpretation. Okay. It, what we were able to do is we use a program called Audacity, which can kind of get rid of some of, some of the background noise. And uh, after several of us listened to us, we came to a consensus that it says now they're moving stuff, except they use the S word. Now they're moving stuff around the bathroom. And what's interesting about it is, it's like, who are they, like, they had to be watching. Because who else would say now they're moving, you know, stuff around in the bathroom. So let me ask you this question, though. At the end of the clip, there's some shuffling around, and then somebody says, it's me. Almost like they're identifying themselves on the recording. Uh, You don't typically do that unless... No. There's an investigation going on, right? Right. Exactly. So, so what? How? What is that? <laughs> we don't know. I mean, it's just we got so much at that place. Interesting. So, so the possibility is that at the end of that clip, there's a second EVP, and that's the yes. somebody saying it's me. Well, that's yes. that's interesting. Okay, then yes. let's let's listen to this clip in its entirety one more time. Okay. So, so folks, when you're listening to this, you're going to hear the first EVP at the beginning and possibly a second one at the very end saying, it's me. Here we go. I mean, that's not, none none of it made sense. And that's what, because it was, it was clear enough that we were all convinced one of us had said it, you know, one, one of the members, but it didn't make any sense. And it was, uh, that evening that we were all so busy running up and down the stairs, trying to get all the equipment out and everything. Um, it didn't, it didn't, and it didn't make sense to Chris who would have at that point been closest to the to the recorder. Wow. That's amazing. All right. Well, um, because we don't have a lot of time, I want to make sure that I get two, two really impressive EVPs in here. Um, so just give us a quick backstory. I have one titled, I am Michael from New Orleans. Yes. What is the story with that? So there is, um, we had met some friends, uh, from Colorado, uh, that we had actually been to, uh, the Stanley with, and they wanted, they had never been to the Southeast. And so my husband and I surprised them with a real quick trip down to New Orleans. And I had called friends of friends of friends to, to try to set up uh, an investigation. Uh, and, and we didn't want to do, you know, a lot of the tours down there or the investigations. Um, and I honestly don't like these where, you know, you, you show up and there's, 17 other people want, you know, wanting to do the same investigation. It's nothing but contamination. And, but this particular, uh, person, um, a wonderful woman, if you've ever been, you know, go down to new Orleans, there's a woman, she refers to herself as bloody Mary. Um, and she's a personal friend of a friend of mine. 
And uh, we had contacted her, told her who we were, told her about our affiliation with TAPS, told her we were professional investigators, and we were definitely not interested in being in a room with others who had never done it before. So she, she says, I'll tell you what. She goes, I'm going to give you an address. You come to this address at 1030 on Friday night, and I'll give you this whole place to yourselves that night. And uh, so we, we get there, and it turns out, if you, if you ever know the story of Zach and Addie out of um, uh, New Orleans, it's a story of a young couple. Uh, tragically, he ended up uh, butchering her um, and killing her chopping her body up. It was a horrific story and, um, their little apartment. And it turned out, um, that we were at this location. We did not realize it at that point. We, we were not told anything ahead of time. She was really great about not telling us anything so that we could evaluate what we had gotten and try to corroborate it with the story of the location. But one of the things she did say early on was that there was a little boy at the place that she was sure was um, haunting the location uh, underneath the apartment that belonged to Zach and Addie. And um, long story short, I call her after we got the EVP and I'm like, what is going on? And she lost her mind. She goes, the little boy's name is Michael. And so that EVP was actually at the very, when we first got there, we hadn't been in the door maybe five minutes. And of course we didn't, we weren't live listening. You know, we figured we'd do that, you know, later. And, um, so yeah. Okay. I think it's a great, a great EVP. Yeah. All right. So here we go, everybody. This one's pretty clear one. So here we go. I think we should, as I said, I'm going to try to do non-electronic things first. All right. So we're going to play it one more time. You're going to clearly hear what appears to be a child's voice saying, I am Michael. Here we go. Can I just set this anywhere? Yeah. I am Michael. I think we should, as I said, I'm going to try to do non-electronic things first. Wow, that that is remarkable. And you know right. what makes this so interesting is you have the investigators in the room. They're just talking like yeah, nothing's going we on. We were just, we hadn't even set up yet. We were just like, where can we put our things? And um, you hear Mary say something to the point where we'll put the, we'll do the non-electronic stuff first and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and none of us reacted to this such a clear voice yeah wow yeah and, and that's that's how this stuff tends to come across on the recorders it, it happens when you least expect it often absolutely at the, often at the beginning of a investigation mm -hmm. or at the very end it's just remarkable stuff all right let's play uh this one um uh, the lowry house oh yeah oh yeah We've gotten some great ones there. This is the Lowry House in Huntsville, Alabama. The Preservation Society owns it. And there is a director there that actually called on us because they were having some activity and they were having some events um, that were going to be paranormal events, but they didn't have any record of whether or not they're, that what was happening was actually paranormal. So they called us. Huntsville is about two hours north of uh, Tuscaloosa. 
And uh, so we went up there and the funny, so let me set this one up because there was a few funny things that happened there. So uh, me and, and Heather, one of the other girls on the team, we were getting ready to start a session in what would be the dining room of this location. And I had turned on my recorder and you always mark it. You say, okay, I'm at the Lowry house. This is the date. This is the time. This is who's with me, you know, to start it. And I said, I'll go ahead and do that. Right about the time I did that, two investigators that were with us who had never investigated this place before needed to know where they could go. And so Heather said, well, let me show you. Let me we're go back in here and have you guys set up and we'll do uh, what we call, we call it 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off. So we would take turns. We would go, we would investigate or do an EVP, EVP session for 15 minutes. Then we'd go quiet and let them go. So they were one room away. So she's showing them around and showed them, you know, it's kind of scary back here um, when the lights are off. And then we get, and this had happened a couple times there, an entity making fun of us. And um, what's funny is later on, the director had said, you know, I've heard the same thing, but I always thought somebody was just playing a joke on me. So it's pretty, we call it that, we call it a Scooby-Doo moment. Um, we've had something similar happen at Old South Pittsburgh in Tennessee. Yeah. All right, here we go. Um, I'm not going to describe what this is. See if you can hear it for yourself. This is from the Lowry House. It's, um... So there it is. I mean, <laughs> a paratrickster at play. Yes. Because you're on an investigation. You're meant to be, you're there because you're professional. Absolutely. And we take it very serious. You know, it's not, that's not something we would do. And here's the funny thing. So I'm in the next room. That was on my recorder. I did not hear that. And neither did Heather, who was the one showing the other two investigators where they could set up. And so when I went into command um, and was watching the DVRs, I just started listening. I'm like, what? You know, and I started laughing and, you know, and I know everybody there, but I still asked, who did that? And Heather's like, that didn't happen. And the irony is Heather, her recorder wasn't going yet, you know, but she was in that room and I could clearly hear them. I would have heard that. I certainly would have heard that. And, and I did not. So that, like I said, we've, we've had that happen before. We call it the Scooby-Doo moment. Wow. So. Okay. So I'm going to play it again, folks. So listen for this very strange almost like a mocking of the investigative team there. It's, um, this is weird. Do you know what's being said at the very end of that clip by one of the other teams? That is, yeah, that was one of the other ones. Uh, his name is Les. Um, I don't know what he was saying, but I remember, I have to go back and look at the, the, the longer clip. Um, I remember going, nobody seemed to notice it. You know, nobody seemed to even react to the sound. 
um, we played it for the director and he said, yeah, he's heard it a few times coming from the staircase. And we were kind of by the staircase, but he just thought it was somebody playing tricks on him because it's so comical. It's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, Laura, how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, it's a really, uh, hard email. It's Laura at lauralineberry.com is my email. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, just look for L Lineberry or Laura Lineberry. Um, we have, we don't, because we, we have a website, but because we, um, want to remain the Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group, we want to remain as confidential and professional as possible. We don't usually post a lot of our findings unless we get the permission from the client or the owner or anything like that. But there are some things on the Tuscaloosa, just search Tuscaloosa Paranormal Research Group. Okay. And you have, uh, in one of the links you sent me, it's, it's a Facebook group called Haunted Journals. Yes. Haunted, Haunted Journals was, um, some friends and I decided we wanted people to be able to tell their stories. And, um, but it, you know, I need help with it. I want to hear stories. Um, they'll tell their stories, but they're still a little bit, um, of apprehensive. Oh yeah, that's happened to me, but no elaboration. So please go to Haunted Journals. It's on Facebook. Um, and share some of your stories. Join the group. Uh, it's a place where you could talk about, we talk about every, from Bigfoot to aliens to psychics to, you know, ghosts. Are they ghosts? Are they spirits? Are they souls? What are they? There's a lot of, of discussion there about anything weird and wonderful. This has been an incredible uh, interview here, Laura, and I wish we had more time, but we'll just have to have you back on the show to talk more about these investigations. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I'd awesome. be happy to. And I find you far from weird. You are interesting. <laughs> so thank you <laughs> well, so I've, much. Well, I've, I've surrounded myself with weird people, so I don't stand out as much. <laughs> <laughs> we are the normal ones. The rest of the world is weird. That's right. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Laura, for sharing some of these incredible experiences. Thank you, Justin, for having me. You have been listening to Terror Signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by Normal Paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrorsignals.com.